Hello and welcome to the Theology Podcast. This is C.R. Wiley and uh, we are podcasting today from Wooden Tap here in Vernon, Connecticut. And we're in the back room and we actually have a live audience. Say hello, live audience. Hello! Hello. Actually, you're supposed to say hello, live audience because I said so. (laughs) Anyway, well, it's great to have a live audience and usually it's just Glenn and Tom and I. We're lonely. Miserable sitting in a booth, yeah. you know, yeah. talking to each everyone other. against us up here. <laughs> you know. yeah, right. We don't have any friends following each other. <laughs> <laughs> We're <Right>. kidding. <laughs> we have a treat today, beside the fact that, that we actually have people here with us for a change. Uh, we have a special guest with us, and that's Ken Boa. He was with us in our last show. But why don't we go around the table because we don't take it for granted that everybody who's listening to us has heard us before and knows who we are because we're bringing on and new listeners all the time. This may be your first time listening to the Theology Podcast, and so you deserve an introduction. So let's go to you, Glenn. I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a professor of European history at Central Connecticut State University and a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Thomas Price, systematic theologian, Christian ethicist, teaching both at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm the senior pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester, and I used to teach philosophy. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, we have our special guest, Ken Boa. Ken, tell us a little bit about you and your ministry. Yes, I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and uh, mentor, and I uh, have a re- website called KenBoa.org. It has a re- robust search engine, so you can, for example, just type in film, you'll get a wide, wide array of, or Lewis, or or uh, science, or whatever you want, culture. And right. so, because I'm, I'm a generalist, so I'm interested in everything. And I, what I, what I want to do, though, no matter what it is, is to synthesize, translate, and apply. And, to, and the application has to do with uh, loving uh, well, learning well, and living well. So the, the, the being, knowing, and doing, the, the heart, head, and hands. So I, I'm interested in the whole aspect of life and how everything connects together. Indeed, heaven and earth. And so living uh, in the eternal me- uh, mindset of, of, of understanding who and whose we are in this as pilgrims, sojourners, wayfarers, strangers, aliens, exiles, all these metaphors are telling us something mm-hmm. and re- grasping the brevity of the earthbound sojourn as I've said in the last time we were together this is mm-hmm. a soul forming world and it's the purpose of the soul forming world is indeed Romans 8.29 to conform us to the image of his son mm-hmm. that's great stuff and we kind of joked a little bit earlier about the fact that it seems like academe is encouraging us to specialize to the point of stupidity mm-hmm. whereas opposed to right the so. old way of thinking is that you know you you know philosophy is concerned with life itself and living well understanding what is skill and wisdom right. again that that idea of where is the life we've lost in living Where's the wisdom we've lear- lost in knowledge? Where's the knowledge we've lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us farther from God and nearer to the dust. And as, as, Lu- as, as Eliot yeah, <laughs> describes yeah, this. Right, then you could right. add from that, though, where is the information we've lost in factoids? And yes. we continue to diminish our capacity to communicate right. such that people now are in, immersed so much in a digitized mindset that they no longer grasp that relationships are analog. Mm, oh, that, that's a, okay. There's a theme for a show, but yeah. we're not even going to show you. Yeah. Talk about that. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> Ken puts, out, Ken puts out a lot of ideas. In the room. I'm going to back up way far just because my son is here, and uh, I'll never forget because you had mentioned the issue of wonder, and I used to bring mm. him up always mm. thinking about that. And he one day told me, coming home from school, I said, 
you know, you're getting bigger now. There's going to be some big challenges. He told me, Dad, I'm not going to lose my wonder if that's what you're worried about. All right. All right. Let me get that. You couldn't have given him a better answer than that. Again, we were talking about the first and second naivetes. And you want to get rid of the first, sure. I put away childish things, but not childlike. You do not want, you want to, you don't want to be ossified. The imagery in Psalm 92, they shall bear fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green. There'll be a subtlety, a subtleness. They're supple. They're fluid. Rather than the terrible disease of the hardening of the categories. Yes. Yes. And so you become inflexible. You start, when you stop learning, you start dying. And so the idea of how can you be enhancing your childlike wonder? And so Mm -hmm. I find myself now immersed in mystery. More yeah. and more. And uh, yeah. so uh, yeah. I've, I've been training. And part of this habituation is where you become spring-loaded toward the things of the spirit, where it becomes your natural default. Right. And this is going back to the metaphor, the imagery of practicing is present, where by training and habituation, we become more spring-loaded toward the, the spirit, and, less, and so the flesh becomes alien territory. And we see it as beneath the dignity of the true people we really are in Christ in the first place, but the understanding that this is who is and who is I am. And so consequently, we begin to see everything um, under, mm. the, under the aspect of eternity. We begin to see everything matters. There's no sacred, secular dichotomy. Yeah, uh, and everything is important. So therefore, the, the, thing, the way I treat the person who's handling me at the table, for example, yeah. the way I treat the person who's cleaning my hotel room, there's a dignity in that person, yeah. and that must be seen. So every person... So now trying to find myself in immersive exercises that cause me to become aware of the, the transcendent at the same time. Because again, as amphibious beings, we can train ourselves so we can connect heaven and earth. And so in doing so then... Um, I'll give you one example from, the, from, the, from a, a guide to practicing God's presence. It was odd that there was never such a guide, so I had to create one. I, it's the oddest thing. Uh, why is that? I mean, it's the most fundamental thing. It's, I can demonstrate it. It's, it's, it's expected, and no one takes it seriously. But we, one, of the, one of the exercises, and it's, as, I, as Glenn said, is a suite of 104 practices, eight basic categories, 13 uh, of each. So the net of the now, matter... Now, before you get into that, is this part of the, the second book in your trilogy? Yes. Well, no, it's actually... An adaptation. It's a it's a guide from the second book. So it takes the second book, Life in the Presence of God. This is a this is a, a supplement. This takes all the practices can, and can amplifies they, them. Can they get it at your website? Kimbauer.org, Yeah, yep, it's okay. called it's so it's called a guide to practicing God's presence. It's also the uh, presence app. Presence. If you just look at the app, it's presence. Life uh, walking mm-hmm. with God. But the point is that you, so we have a presence app that helps. It, but so you go on your smartphone, you can find that. You can find that. Yeah, okay. easily. But the thing that I want to stress, though, okay. is that we are capable through training and habituation, uh, through uh, practice and through intentionality, where we can now take an ordinary event and make it extraordinary. So one of the exercises I have a teach. I have a, one of my four weekly studies in Atlanta is a men's group and one of the guys was complaining because he got there late and he was describing a story though it was actually mm-hmm. not a complaint it was a context of, of sharing at the end it's an interesting group of, of men but that he was saying how he was caught behind a school bus and that's why he was quite late for the yeah, study I know that feeling yeah, you know what that, you know what and it's not just it, it, and the kids would dawdle and take forever to get on the thing and he was going he was getting more and more stressed out and then two blocks and this behind him again he can't yeah, pass yeah, him and so it yeah. goes by the third time around he, gave, he realized what was happening this is not an interruption it's an invitation 
This is this is Kairos, not Krynos. Yeah. Yeah. And the realization that the best, what I can do, I'm going to be here anyway. I'm going to turn this into a, a mini Sabbath. I'm going to pray for these kids. And suddenly he turned it into an exercise that was transformative. Now you, you mentioned a couple of Greek words, yeah. Kairos and Krynos, mm-hmm. which I think, and, yeah, yeah, yeah it's the opportune off. moment, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is a beautiful thing. Can you can you unpack those sure. a little bit? Because because sure. some of our audience yeah. may never. Well, that's heard good. Those that's good because and it's important to see the difference because Chronos is what you can put in your calendar, your that's planner. Right. Of course, we work with that chronology, chronometer, so forth. But the Kairos, the idea of opportunity time, making the most of the Chiron because the days are evil. Then now these are opportunities. And then to use to use C.S. Lewis's metaphor, God's the invisible master of ceremonies that puts things together in events that in ways you could not even begin to imagine. And then you begin to realize this is something that was for, before me. But without Shabbat, there's no Shalom. Now to give yeah. a couple of Hebrew words, because and, and sh- of all yeah. people, Karl Barth used to talk about the Kairoi, the way Kairoi, in which that's right, the, in, and the way in which the kind of the time and that's the right. logos they, they connect together that's yeah. right yeah. so if i begin to realize wait this is an invitation not an not an interruption so i guess what i so i heard about that yeah. uh, not a week later i had the opportunity to give it a go uh. And I failed. <laughs> uh, so you're stuck behind you school. Grew up in New Jersey. Of course, you're going to fail. At well, that. This, no, I was in Atlanta, though. This is Atlanta. But you grew up in New Jersey. I know. I should know better. I should know better. But that's it. <laughs> um, the fact is that I got behind the bus and indeed forgot the entire thing. And then, <laughs> and then this is the See, humor. This is what endears our audience yeah, to the, us. Is our, uh, our people love it when they acknowledge. <laughs> they love it when you acknowledge your idiocy and stupidity. <laughs> that, that's the hoarder mindset. People go to uh, the reality TV, so-called reality, it's at least from reality, to give them the illusion that may, maybe my life is tough, but it is a whole it's lot worse from that, that better than that guy is. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't come up with a series called Trailer Trash, but that's be another. But that's, yeah. uh, but that's Said. Um, that's where I'm from now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, get so closely. Get so, closely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right after the bus, my growing up in Virginia. <laughs> right after the bus left, I realized, ah, I missed my Kairos yeah, moment. Right, right, I missed right, my right. invitation. And it was, instead of beating myself up, I tell people, don't beat yourself up. Right. Right. Instead, take it as a teaching moment and realize, ah. Because the spirit says you'll have another chance, and within two weeks after that, I had another chance, uh, and it was I have a chance the, like that almost every day. Almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was the middle. It was halfway into it. I said, Ah, I get it, and I started praying for them, and then it happened again. Just when I was driving with Karen, Glenn, right after you were with us, and we were driving together, and uh, we were behind a school bus, and I said, "This is a this is an invitation. Let's pray for that that little girl." And we both did. So I remember the moment. Now, isn't it interesting, though, that we can get so caught up in sort of our disappointment... That's right. ...that we lose sight of what... The opportunity. ...that that continues. Like, I remember I was on a softball team. And you know how it is on a softball team. You always put the the worst fielder in right field. That's kind of the way it works. Yes, how it is. Yep. And so, so a ball was hit out to a guy in right field. His name was Dwayne. And uh, our our team was you know a very competitive and and, and good team, but uh, he went to pl- to field a ball, and uh, he misplayed it, and and, I, and of course it went past him. And what did he do? He bowed his head and started to mourn. Hmm. Now the player 
who hit the ball is rounding the bases. Yeah. And we're all screaming. Warning. Mourn later. Now is the time to chase the ball and throw it into the infield. But but often that's the way we compound. Precisely so. We can we can, can kind of compound the problem. You make it worth for you by your response. Yeah. yeah. So However, training and habituation then habituates us to have a proper response, and you cannot predict what will happen. But I claim that the most important thing in terms of the economy of the kingdom of God this day will not be on your plan on your pl- calendar. Right. It'll yeah. be an unexpected thing that was an invitation, not an. But when you blow it. Take that as a teaching moment. Don't beat yourself up. Learn from it. Take it a grace and learn from the next time. So but the, the other side of that, Ken, mm-hmm. there's a book you, you recommended to me. I forgot who the author was, but it was a book on leadership. And it talked about how God develops leaders. And one of the points it made was that when God has a lesson for you, if you don't learn it, he repeats the lesson. Yeah, he has so many creative ways of getting your attention. Which is the, which is the, the scariest and most annoying thing I've ever read. I've got to be honest with you. That's right. That was so just like for you. You, you, you have the, the opportunity to look forward mm-hmm. to this sort of thing again. again. Yeah. 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 It's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Right. What a horror. Six in the morning every day. I, I got you, babe. <laughs> and then you have exploration of every conceivable possible way of eliminating eliminating his life until he finally gets the message, stop trying it, and suddenly he becomes a person. Right, uh, right. So it's an amusing uh, concept, but uh, it's actually more powerful uh, as a yeah. film than I had previously supposed, but right, that's another right. story. Right. <laughs> but anyway, th- so let's get back to this uh, to this sort of practice of the presence of God. Sure. So you've got this uh, list of things you can do. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's think a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, you know, in Orthodox, um, we're always were very big on this idea of the Jesus prayer, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is usually the full the, the dynamic of that uh, way of the mm-hmm. pilgrim and so forth. And while there is something to be said for that, in my view, there is something also where you're kind of um, effectively with that prayer, violating the imagery in Hebrews 6, where you're returning again to re- re- renew to it repentance yourself yeah. from, you're going, let's move on from there you've already had mercy you've given me grace let me move on now into enjoying your vitality your mm-hmm. life itself but that's a desert matter. but then it occurred to me there's no one methodology but rather if we have an array because our personalities are such that we are unique and therefore having 50 uh, 52 times 2 um even if only half of them work for you, and so you're on the app and also in the book, you record the ones at the end of the at the end of the week. You try it as many times as a, a day, and then okay, even if only half are good, you have a suite of 52 that are. So now you can then capitalize on that. So my view is that if I I'll give you a couple of these if you'd like. One I'll yeah, give you one yeah, exercise please. that yeah. many times when I'm at a restaurant. Um, I will be aware of the person who's serving, and I'll get I'll get their name in, in, in uh, many cases. And so it's Louise, let's say, and I find her name, and then I will work it such that uh, when she's deliver- when she's bringing the food, I'll stop and say, "Hey, Louise, we're about to uh, thank God for this blessing that we're going to have. Is there anyone who can pray for you?" 
never had someone turn me down yet. Okay. So what, what's happening, you're giving her dignity, you're naming sure. them, you're sure. giving them their name, and you're now elevating them, and they take that, and now that's a, that's a transcendent encounter that you could never have scheduled or planned. And this is right. the point, but God is so creative that he gives you opportunities, most of which we miss. Mm. But after a while, through habituation and training, you become more um, attuned, more acclimated to the quiet promptings of the Spirit of God. Mm. And after a while, then it becomes an exciting and a joyful, joy-filled adventure where you mm. realize everything matters. Mm-hmm. There's no right. sacred secular. Right. There's no dichotomy between the spiritual and, and what's not. Sp- everything becomes spiritual in the focus of your heart yeah. the, is the eternal. I get notion everything matters if anything matters at all. If anything right. matters at all. Right. You got that right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, now, we're talking about a di- a sort of the, well, the illustration that you provided, Ken, is a great one. It, in- it entails the, um, you know, the interpersonal, which is great. But I think that's sort of something that many people already think of in mm-hmm. that frame. Mm-hmm. In other words, they, they think about, okay, here's another human being. Yes, they may do God. that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, many times, in, at least in my experience, it's sort of the things that, they, that people don't often associate that's right. with spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. Now, for example, you used, uh, we, we were talking, uh, I think, a little while back about things like film or books sure. or stuff like that. And I think that many many Christians that I've come across do apply the secular sacred to that. You know, they'll say, well, that's just entertainment. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really significant going on there. Or, you know, that's just politics. Mm-hmm. Or that's just, you know, like, uh, you know, making my boss happy or whatever. you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Because uh, here you now, when I when I teach f- a film, literature, things of this sort, uh, it's story driven, it's narrative, it's a great the, again the, the the greater a story, the better it's expressed, the closer it gets us to an intimation of the greatest story ever told, and so it's it's well done, it's it gives us and it creates a longing. Now, while you have the transcendentals that come from through truth and then goodness and beauty, essentially, when I teach art, art or music or film. I, I start with beauty, yeah, because beauty will touch the heart, and it'll actually overcome the watching dragons of critical objections, and it pierces the heart and draws us to goodness. Goodness, in turn, can draw us to truth. Mm-hmm. Now, it, I think it's—I've concluded just recently. I was chewing on this. I think we talked about this, Glenn, uh, um, that it takes training. I think and practice to begin to see the goodness and beauty. I love it. This is all part of the podcast. It's all part of the show. The ads. (laughs) (laughs) Who gets the the tacos? Yeah, (laughs) That's fine. The training is to see, and I'm seeking to do this exercise, how can I now look and see beauty and good, and uh, no, goodness and beauty and truth, Truth and beauty and goodness, and truth and goodness and beauty. Now, you know the, the way you de- the way you described it initially is that there was a uh, there was a progression from beauty to goodness to truth. And now I'm I think it's the other way around. Yeah, but I think it. I think that that's something that I'd like to think a little bit about. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. and I'd like to think about it even a little bit. Uh, Wider is that this isn't this is you know I can understand von Balthasar I can understand in the Catholic yeah, tradition Balthasar. why sure. this is very attractive. Yes, you have been you've increasingly had Protestants get on board of this, 
But a lot of times they're very their antennas come up because they think this is like the importation yes, of Hellenism I hear, rather I hear, than. I, and, and and I'm the exact opposite. I'm, yeah. the exact, I'm, I'm reformed in such a way that that which is the conversion, uh, it, it's it's that this is to, the gospel is is first and foremost for the Jew, but then everyone else. It's the desire of the nations. It's the fulfillment of all things. Yes. There's a truth, beauty, and goodness are those aspects of that part of the world that it gospel is a fulfillment of too yes and so um this goes back because i think we have a very shared understanding what the doctrine of creation is all about and then redemption and redemption's purposes yes yes whereas there's often i think sadly and and it's not always everyone's you know direct fault there's there's a gnostic interpretation in evangelicalism of what redemption is yes that truth, beauty, and goodness somehow are in conflict with, That's right. rather than the the fulfillment of That's right. redemption. That's right. And so I just wanted to kind of yeah, put there a is little stop there to kind of make sure that you know before you you step in that next territory, this would have been something Jonathan Edwards been purely happy with. Of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was all about beauty. He was he all was. about. Of course he was. Yeah. And and he I would argue Calvin the, too. Yeah, Calvin but, too. Yeah. Calvin yeah. too. I mean, yeah. The theater of God's the glory. The theater. It's yeah. a theater, and it's a it's a drama. And at the end of the day, then to realize that these are all resources that God purposes and through those transcendentals we also have an apprehension of those things because the Imago Dei one of the books I'm working on right now is the Imago Dei the um, 18 facets of the image of God in you but that's another it's, it's we are fearfully and wonderfully made but here we resonate with those things because they are in fact the unchanging they come from the unchanging uh, creator of all things that are true good and be he is the wellspring of these and the yeah. unchanging and so there is an ultimate basis so if what the more i revel in those and connect them together the more i'm astonished at a flower or amazed at the aesthetics of a of a thing or the goodness the the palpable goodness the more i become a person who's moving toward what he intended me to be all along now it's interesting you can do a broad brush and i think Jen, i don't know if you'd agree with me glenn but it seems to me in general terms that uh, that the first the truth corresponds more to the protestant ethos the goodness right. to a catholic and the beauty to a, to an uh, orthodox and there's a generality but there is a kind of a coherence a, a perichoresis of those dynamics in which they interpenetrate each other and so if i can begin to see a more robust grasp of how my life is immersed in his presence, his palpable presence, and he mediates that presence through the agencies of my apprehension, through the rich uh, abundance of my sensory. Beauty has been tended to be the downplay of the Protestant world. Yeah, I think well, so. Yeah. I think yeah. so. A, and I think matched by creation, yeah, the downplay they've, they've of creation. Accustomed themselves, accustomed themselves to almost like the uh, uh, Oliver Cromwell mindset. Mm. Uh, uh, and it's uh, it's it's made things plain, ugly, yeah. and un. And this is not a box, for Actually, example. No, we, no, no, we, no. we have to take it a little further back than that. I've, I've been I've been pondering which we lost first, beauty or, or yeah, truth. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it isn't truth that was really the first victim. With Nietzsche and people like that, yeah. mm-hmm. you lose truth. Then you go to Dada in art mm-hmm. and things like that, where where yeah. once you lose truth, beauty collapses. Yeah. Um, and so does also the idea of there being some form of transcendent good. Sure. You know, you get situational ethics. You know, there's no firm right or wrong. It, yeah. It's, you know, beauty is in yeah. the eyes of the beholder. Yeah. You know, and all of these things, are they're all interconnected. Form you lose follows one. function. Yeah. That's you the, you, you yeah. lose one and everything collapses. Right. All of them go. And this is why I like Antonio Gaudi as my favorite ar- architect. Why? Because he gets his clue, clue from the natural world. There are no straight lines in nature. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you certainly don't see that in any of his stuff. No, you do not. <laughs> because he was smart enough to get his cue from the organic dynamics, the reticulated beauties of the natural world, and this is, gave him a genius and an edge. On the, so my point is that whatever is, that we see in these things that is worthwhile of pursuing, he calls us, in my mind, to, uh, to be people who synthesize through the prism of our personality those wonderful qualities of, of, of truth and goodness and beauty but above that we are spiritual beings as well as relational beings and then we are rational beings and then we are um, moral beings and aesthetic beings so those dynamics then uh, recur and what does that look like? One of the things I think that you know contemporary evangelical world is kind of again uh, um, they've put a weight on something that is you know creates an imbalance is the relational ontology that has replaced the classical Christian vision. By relational ontology, it's almost what some would call theological mutualism or relationalism it's, or personalism. It's the way in which God almost has chosen to enter into a relation to be determined by the creation. So therefore, truth, beauty, and goodness become written out of the window because a, almost a therapeutic conception, yeah. a univocal view of the creation, Creature and God, and what do I mean by that? A one-to-one correspondence. Yeah. That a relationship with God basically is just a, a higher sort of normal human relationship. Yeah. And that's something that classical Christianity didn't do. Relation was on the part of the creation, not on the part of God to creation. And that distinct creator creature on you know view of being um, the classical Christianity held made relation to God, communion with God, something very different than what is going on now. This therapeutic, yes, it's, it's, yeah. this therapeutic it's, view. Yes. So, truth, beauty, and goodness seem out of the out of the door unless they are therapeutically applied. That's correct. They're, you know, yeah. what does this and how does this enhance my best life now, rather That's than right. orient yeah. me towards the and this, the? And this is why you yes. know evangelicals sort of screen out anything that it, that sort of. Unrelated to my personal relationship with Christ. That's, that's, that's right. right. That, 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 yeah. that, if, it, if it doesn't have a utilitarian function, that's right. Uh, skew it. Yeah. The reality is, though, that we are actually called to serve these things, not to use. They're not to serve us. Great point. And at the end of the day, we become egocentric, and we become just putting a Christian patina, a, yeah. a, a mere thin yeah. um, veneer on the cultural agenda all along. Yeah. So we're yeah. called then to trans, to be radically different, yeah. to be subversive agents in this culture, yeah. and yeah. to pursue those things which are timeless trends for their own sake for their own sake for their own yeah. that's the missing not element to, not to not as yeah. a utilitarian nexus but rather as a vehicle yeah. of coming to grasp who and whose we really are in this world Excellent. in this embedded world now and when we, we think about ut- the utilitarian the pragmatic um, that's essentially the framework within which most evangelicals operate so there's a kind yeah. of there's the interpersonal yeah. there's the subjective emotive there's the pragmatic and the, the, the categories or the, or the realities, I should say, of truth, goodness, and beauty, um, if they have any currency at all, they're only 
to sort of sort of play out or sort of reinforce or sort of express those other, other yes, things. Yeah, yeah, the, William I, William yeah. James in his famous sure, book yeah. on the you know the uh, varieties of religious right. experience. He he's this, he he basically creates the notion of God that most evangelicals today embrace. I think that's right, and and, and it is this notion yeah. that he has this whole section where he goes to the classical attributes of God, the incommunicable attributes, those aspects that have to do with God alone, which we are to pursue because they're, they're what we're invited into, right, right? right? Jesus calls you to know the Father and the Son and, and, and each other, the inner life of God, right? To move beyond the economy up into the theology. Um, James says, but what benefit, what use is what that utility. for us? Utility. Cash value. Cash, Cash value, value is his word. It, so he's a utilitarian. That's right. So if it doesn't work on mm-hmm. that level, it's of none. Mm-hmm. Of course, he creates the, the, the therapeutic relation to God. And I think this is what sadly evangelicals have run with i'm afraid so so yeah. you, again you have this uh, this basically uh therapeutic deism yeah that, uh, yeah that basically right. and it has it's thin it's a th- and it really doesn't have any substance and therefore it's not going to actually stick yeah. it doesn't commu- communicate then instead we become signs and, and agents of the new creation when in this world we manifest the new life proleptically in such a way that it becomes as though it was reified in our very palpable presence. There's a beauty in that, where we become people whose lives and whose way way we treat people demands an explanation. It doesn't make sense. It has its own uh, authority because it doesn't make sense from from a materialist imminent frame. There's something about you that that doesn't make sense. It's interesting. You're not trying to use me like everybody else is. What is this about you? Why are you... People can't (laughs) love... they, They may get suspicious... But after a while, you keep loving and serving them. They begin to think maybe there's something going on here. I have a little, a lot of criticism of Stanley Hauerwas, but he used yeah. to said that you need to live your life in such a way that only God is an explanation for, and in loving your neighbor as sure. yeah, yeah, your, loving your enemy was yes. one of those. Yes. You yeah. know, that was that was always yeah. a profound thing. But I think it's along those lines yeah. that that there is this way in which we truthfully enact who we are in light of the eternal. That it has. There's no hermeneutic that makes sense of it other than the reality of God. No, nothing else can sustain that. Because, again, the heart's longing. You've made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find the rest of you. So the admission, the awful admission that no, no earthbound felicity can ever carry the awful weight of human aspiration because it's made by the very one who made matter, energy, space, and time. Yeah. Now, related to this, you know, you said something in our last show that I thought was really, really marvelous about sort of the prismatic character yes. of every yes. individual. Yes. So, you know, there's a way that the glory of God will sort of uh, radiate from you. Yes, yes. And then there's, you know, a different sense in which it, it comes from time. Yes, that's right. And, and all of us. A very different way. Very, very, <laughs> very, very weird way. But anyway, that's a Medi- fact. Mediated <laughs> through a very bizarre personality. That's <laughs> right. That's thing. But, but I think that sometimes as, as Christians, we, we maybe have somebody in mind who maybe had a big impact on us. Yeah. And we say, that's what it looks like. And I'm not that. So you know, how do I how do I sort of understand that? And what why am I not that? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you reflect a little bit on that? Yeah. Again, if if I call him to this, what is that to you? You follow me. And yeah, so at right. the end of the day, the John twenty one council is fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, not on the other runners. You, you fix your eyes on him. The other runners will have their course, but you do not do that. Because comparison is the enemy of contentment, and you lose yeah, it. Right, so right. instead, what we're called is, you run the race I've called you to run. 
And at the end, you will not be disappointed. No one's going to, when we, at the bame of Christ, say, but you said, but you promised. Right, <laughs> not going right, to happen. Right. So the realization that I often tell people to use this thought experiment, if suppose you went through 80 years of adversity and, and, and uh, difficulty in this world, and then you have an hour in the presence of Yeshua HaMashiach, and suddenly you discover that this is what you always wanted, you always looking for. Right, every, and, right. and every other so-called good that seemed to be an enemy, he was the wellspring of all the truth and good. Right, right. And then he says to you, okay, at the end of that hour, would you be willing to go back for another 80 years of adversity so you could have another hour in my presence? We wouldn't even hesitate. Mm -hmm. The beauty is, yeah. the 80 years is nothing, yeah. the hour is forever. And so, again, I tell people, what's the hundred-year perspective, a thousand-year perspective, yeah. so that you contextualize those things which are passing away with those things which will endure? I always, yeah. I always right. tell my students sorry, um, that what was it when Jesus comes on the scene that they would give everything up for? They saw the pearl of great price. Mm -hmm. They'd give up their fishing business. Yeah. They gave up whatever it was. But Paul gives up his, mm -hmm. his religious zealotry. Well, not exactly. only that, he was a clerk in the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. He gives up <laughs> all of that because he sees... He had an he Ivy League education. <laughs> Ivy League has, 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 has <laughs> everything. And he sees eternity... And this school, um, school refract in this in this one, mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, the resurrected one in his case, but it, it, but but the disciples too, and so they see the pearl of great price. They see that which is not of any utility. Remember, the utilitarians found it came up short. Judas, even uh, you know Simon in some ways, right? So it wasn't about what they got out of it. They knew they were probably going to be put to death. And this is why Jesus kept saying, you read it, you're going to keep going along right. with yeah, me. The beautiful thing about the Lord is that there's no fine print. There's no fine print. Yeah. It tells you right up front, you're probably going to die. You're probably going to die. In this world, you're going to die. But when they treated me this way, he's giving you a guarantee. you see the beauty of God in Christ, the glory of God in Christ, you see the pearl of great price. This is what you were made for. This is the wonder, and this has more value than your own life, then you're tasting what the initial gospel was all about. The heart, this, makes, I think, yeah. Yeah, the heart always makes room for what it treasures. Oh, and so nice at the thought. end yeah. of the day, then, you become shaped by that to which you aspire. Let's, you, let's you're defined by your intentions. And so the fundamental question is, he said, what do you seek? Now, uh, can you state that again? You know, the heart always makes, makes room, room for what, what it, treasures. it treasures. Yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah. at the end of the day, we are, as I say, defined by our aspirations, our desires. And so when Jesus asks this question, what do you seek? Of course, is this parallelism in John, the spiritual, the material. Where are you staying? <laughs> That's, yeah, right. That's all right. But the point is, what, you see, what are you looking for will define what you find. And so at the end of the what do you want is a great question. So if it's not the pearl of great price, if it's not the um, the field with a treasure that with a treasure hidden in it if it is if it is not the one thing most needful what is it then so you have to you will give your life in exchange for something make sure that it will not let you down so jonathan edwards was right when he said that the wisest thing you can do is to treat things according to their true value yeah mm. loving god in accord to the, the right. moral attributes right the, right the beauty of who god is yeah. in and of god now that, the term when we say we are, we're evaluating something is something as we're actually determining its value. We're yeah. saying, okay, mm -hmm. what is the value mm -hmm. of this thing? And uh, I know I've never come across a person who is who's really, when pressed, uh, willing to make a, a strong argument for materialism. Yeah. There will always sort of 
hedge. Mm -hmm. You always qualify it. You know, because usually what I do is I go to their wife or their boyfriend or their husband. I say, do you love your husband or do you love your wife? <laughs> and they'll say yes, and I say, and I'll explain that in material yes. terms. Yeah. <laughs> How's yeah. that going? Yeah. 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 I've got this biochemical yeah. reaction. Explain yeah. it in a way that you're yeah. going to have a peaceable life from here on out. And, right. and tell that to her. When I see you, baby, my you know, endomorphins just, <laughs> yeah. go, just go crazy. I'm not going to cut the yeah. game. I'm yeah. not going to do it. Unlike anyone else. Not a romantic bone in his body. But even but even the most sort of sort of wooden you know engineer that I've ever come across you know what I'm getting at mm-hmm. you know guys who are all lives, about the numbers he lives better than his worldview. that's it <laughs> yeah. people cannot live with the logical implica- consistently with the logical implications of a non-theistic presupposition right. they, their lives will betray them yeah, yeah and, then, and so when they get caught in that betrayal that's where the interesting things can, can happen that's right yeah. and I, I suspect that when they get caught in that betrayal what's going on is they know that there's this inconsistency but the retreat into materialism mm-hmm. is is to done so because they're afraid. This we can because men are driven so often in our culture to count, control, quantify, compare, compete. Yeah, we want to quantify. We want measurability because we are not comfortable with that which we cannot uh, measure. So, um, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How am I doing? I can't quantify a positive yeah, right, commitment. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I can quantify a negative, but I cannot quantify a positive. So you're committing yourself to the radical ambiguity of uncertainty because you don't have a relationometer, a loveometer. Yeah, yeah. Is that why the reformed just kind of gravitate to the neg- negatives? All <laughs> I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> it's measurable. At least that, that you can quantify. So this is why people well, love our default mechanism is legalism. I don't, yeah, I don't count. But, I don't drink, yeah. smoke, dance, smoke, or drink. Yeah. Or associate with the. the um, or the filthy five, the nasty nine. People love that because tell yeah. me what's what's uh, this and what's that. So we right. want to hold. We ne- we need a code, and right. it's not a code. It's a relationship, and you can't quantify that. So there's an intimacy. What does that entail? So Paul's fundamental aspiration, and he was an ambitious man. I make it there for my ambition to be pleasing to him. My word, does that make things simple? Is this thought? Is this word, is this deed pleasing to him? You Just to ask yeah. the question you know. But it's the orientation there, right? The, mm-hmm. That God for God's own sake. That's right. The riches of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's something more than what that does for me. It's, mm-hmm. it's the pursuit of who yes, he is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you lose yourself, and in, only there do you find, find your yourself. true self, because you find him in you. And you're made in God's image. And yet so you don't lose you the it. self. And that's so yeah. uh, one of my favorite lines is from Thomas Dubay's The Evidential Power of Beauty, and he says, We have been created and redeemed for the eternal ecstasy of interpersonal immersion in the triune Godhead, beholding infinite beauty face to face. Wow. There's a, the there. There's yeah. a lot going on in there. There's a lot going on in there. Just think. Notice he said not absorption, but immersion. Yeah. So the the I vow the immersive interplay, the coherence, the 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 amazing concepts. This is so dramatic, so dynamic. When you think about the high priestly prayer in John, the, that prayer in John 17, that maybe we one, and that just as we are, you are in me, and I am in you, that we be in us, and we in. Them. This is astonishing. You can't like how, how do you can? How do you even? Why like does he even song. bother? In this, you, notice, you notice that in that Johannine language, yes. what you have going on there is communion. Yes, it is. Communion right. is the pearl of great price. The it's end, not about just yeah. your best life. Now, it's not about 
about it your, is not, your but, human... But the other side of this, yes, it isn't about just your best life now. But the problem that I think a lot of people have is they think of when, you ta- when you're talking about you know, loving God completely and all of that, they're thinking dry ice and sheets. You know, they're thinking of an image of heaven, of a yeah. a spiritual kind mm-hmm. of existence what? that ignores creation. Well, exactly. So right. heavenly so, minded, you have no earthly good. Right. But this is the flip and, side. And yeah, yeah so the, the gospel but, but, is you seek this first, and all the rest of it then right. falls yeah. into yeah. the right yeah. order. We, we need to we need to incorporate into the discussion That's the fact right. that this also yeah. extends into this world. Yeah. Yes. I it's, think it's my point very incarnation. The reason I put the emphasis where it is because we're very comfortable in what we get out of it in this world. Mm-hmm. We've lost the sense of what what does it mean to get the right thing in this world mm-hmm. by giving up our first love of this world mm-hmm. for God as a, as the pearl of great price. And then the pleasures of this world become mediators uh, to the ultimate pleasure. But you it become agencies because as as amphibious beings in this incarnation incarnational world then. We discover that everything in this world points as a pointer. It's 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 an agency. That that zainzuk, that longing, that aspiration. It's not the thing itself, as we well know, but it's the thing that points us to a greater good. We it's cannot yet this, name this analogical thing. Get, get right back. And to relationally, that. Yeah. when your loves are ordered the right way, as the church is supposed yes. to do, as it participates in its right, right orientation to God, loving God first, all things relative to God. In that case, one also, in one's created relationships, encounters transcendence. But, but, yes. but I, you see, the thing I think that Glenn is getting at is yes. the, sort of the idea that many people have yes. that I know does not express yes. or doesn't reflect yes. your thinking. Yeah. Because you have had, what, three drinks already today. <laughs> <laughs> You've been praising God with only, every beer. Who's, who's counting? <laughs> but, okay, but, so, but I know you. I know yeah. that what you're, when you speak about transcendence, you're not... You're not denigrating the goods of this world. That's right. You're 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 saying thank I'm you in the right place. Right. You're saying thank you for this. Um, yeah, you're leveraging right. that beauty, goodness, and yeah. truth that we is that we see, and they're agents yeah. of immersion. So we re- realize we are in an in an ineffable milieu, and that everything that every person you encounter then is um, a manifestation of the glory of God in a way that no one else will quite do. So, oh, and, and, but also the material thing. And the material. So yeah, here right. with the sensorium, I have a list of senses. It's far more than five. I have 16 so far. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's yeah, another I've been discovery. missing out. Yeah, you, know, you have indeed. Yeah. I want you to be more sensory. That's right. That's right. Uh, I've been limited to five. I'll, I'll give you, I'm going to give, uh, yeah, give you a little uh, remedial work on your sensorium. But, um, <laughs> but the the fact is we are so rich and imbued with these things so the more you become a manifest and aware of that realm the more than this one takes on the beauty, it becomes a diaphanous place where there's yeah. thin places yes, in Celtic it. spirituality between yeah. heaven and earth. It becomes luminous. It becomes transcendent. And you begin to be an agent and sign of the new creation, even in the, wherever you go. You're spreading the invisible good geography of the new creation. But that's, that's what a kind of, uh, you know, sort of, sort of suspended middle, to use yeah. the yeah. language of, yeah. the, you yeah. know, the radical orthodox. Right. Yeah. You know, that's what... That's what we ought to think about but the typical yeah. Christian when they hear this yeah. language yep. 
That's what you were getting at. You get get turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Yeah. No. No. Which which means, again, in their minds that they become trash. Yeah. Right. They become trash. The more real. Yeah. Yeah. Their loves get ordered the right way. Yeah. So you don't love them as you love God. You love them the right way for what they were created to be. And you see the transcendent shining through. Properly through it. The invisible manifest. Which is what Kim was getting at with manifest. Right. Yeah. You get you train yourself to yeah. begin to see the, yeah. the integration of heaven and earth in all things. And after a while, you begin to see things in a new manner and in a new way so that everything is treasured, everything becomes the gift extraordinary. So you know, it's no longer, your neighbor is no longer utilitarian. These things are not merely utilitarian. They are um, epiphantic, that's an old yeah. word for, for the early early yeah. church, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they manifest the presence of God in such a way that you see them for what they are. Yeah. And what they are are not objects of our ultimate devotion. Yeah. They are gifts to be received but, in order to... What that means is that we can actually enjoy them more. Enjoy which maybe them more. gets us to the 11 so. other things. That's the 11 right. other things, yes. Yeah. Right. That's joy and make, celebration yeah. is the heart of the liturgy. You make, right? Me, right. you make me think of a thing that connects the Eastern and the Western ethos. Yeah. When I was teaching a graduate course in Hong Kong and they had students, all PhDs or, or candidates from various provinces of China, it was an interesting time. So I created a kind of a eastern western mi- mindset and then it evolved collectively and uh, seeing the the extremes of one is a collectivism the other is an individualism and then the understanding of a biblical ethos as being something that's actually um, interdependent not independent or yeah. codependent and then you begin to realize that there's this whole idea of an analogy of the one co- form of music that America con- contributed namely jazz yeah, yeah. and then Winton Marsalis <laughs> in, in uh, jazz under his dad yeah, Oh, really? Years ago. Karen and I were seeing, I've seen jazz before, Ken Burns' series, but this this one, the second time I was seeing it with Karen, and um, I I noted this phrase, and I wanted to learn it. He says, jazz, it rewards individual expression, but demands selfless collaboration. Now, there you have the integration, where you do not lose the individual, but you do not, you're you're not absorbing the collective, but on the other hand, the collective still is needful, so the ward, so that you point to that player, and he yeah. may be um, he may be sax, he may be bass, but whatever you point to him, and suddenly he knows it's his time. But then everyone yeah. moves around him, yeah. and so there's a collaboration. And harmonically, oh, you are all yeah. sharing one. You thing. are indeed. So what happens? The harmony sets the table, yeah. and all the melody can go individually in and out of the key, yeah. but it resolves back it resolves into back. the harmony. And so there's a complex does. organic yeah. dynamic that, yeah. that it inhales, and you cannot predict the, the nature. Yeah. Of it. Well, but at the and, end of the day, it's theological jazz we're doing. But the, the all related to this is, and, and uh, I want to return to that phrase. <laughs> but but related to this is, I, I've been reading Richard Weaver's uh, yeah. Ideas Have Consequences. Yeah. And of course, he's yeah. got a kind of a low vein of jazz, but I'm yeah. not sure he understands <laughs> he what he just talked about. He yeah. doesn't understand it. Yeah. 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 And, but one of the things, too, about jazz is there, there's a kind of uh, mastery. Yeah. You can't really do it that's, until you master It's a masterful the, art. Yeah, and uh, so that you can't, you can't. Uh, improvise if you don't have the basics. You That's need right. the skill set. And right. the harmony is still ordering 
everything done. So what you think is free is not autonomy. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. working with a form. And it's a structure and it's obedience to a certain narrative or a, 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 a movement, yeah. a power. What it, what it does is it allows to use modalities that certain kinds of music puts a limit on, and mm -hmm. that's where I think it sort of couple could couple with the modern world in a mm -hmm. sense, where yeah. it wanted to say that there were certain things about the human being modes of humanity that um, that that uh, that can find a place in this, mm -hmm. but it does resolve, unlike sort of anarchic music. Yeah, or, yeah. So or there, is music. There, is a, there is a resolution. There is a resolution. Right. And there's right. harmony, and yeah. there is even with when you move out, you're always coming back to yeah. resolution. But but, and, but getting back to this this idea of uh, theological jazz. Yes, I think that. That's really the way churches should function. I think so. Yeah. I think that most of the time they don't work that way. No, they I don't. think that they they either function as Muzak, you know what yeah, I mean? Or far too much of that. <laughs> or they, 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 or they function as yeah. they function <laughs> as just learning your scales yeah. and yeah. that's all it ever gets to. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just constantly running through the yeah. scales. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. again, again. And then there's some guy, you know, with a metronome, and he's got a—he's also got a stick that's whacking you on the head. Yeah, yeah David, David. You, you, you mentioned jazz. You're, you're equating jazz with beauty, which is good. Does that mean if you do jazz bad, it's ugly and it's evil? Well, Why, maybe. How does, how does, yeah. how does the, yeah, that's the, a good the, question. the beauty and the good and the truth relate yeah, I well, mean, if the, something is ugly, yeah. does that make it evil? Well, there's actually something that uh, we talked about von Balthasar earlier. Mm -hmm. you know, here's a German guy who lived okay, during the Nazi You might want to repeat the question. Era. Sure, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, the, um, in case that didn't get picked up on the mic, the question was, you know, we, we, we talk about the, the good and the true and the beautiful and all of them connected together. So if something is ugly, does that mean it's evil? That right. was that was the essence of the question, right. and and we can connect this to jazz in any number of things. Right. Well, what, well, I, what I was thinking is von Balthasar mm -hmm. noted that uh, he knew that Hitler was evil because he was so ugly. <laughs> so that was actually something that he said. Now, now I think that sometimes we go to physical beauty, sort of you know, sort of a, the appearance, whereas. I'm not sure that's what we're getting at, although I think that there is, you know, obviously when we get to a physical appearances, there can be, you know, an angel of light. That's my question. Right. I'm learning how to play the fiddle. Right, right. Let me tell you, when I started out, <laughs> it was ugly. That's right. Does so you're wondering if you're, evil, you know? you're perpetrating evil. By, yeah, you're know, perpetrating evil by playing the fiddle badly. Well, I remember Chesterton said uh, something <laughs> along this line. I don't know if you remember this, Ken or, or Glenn, uh, that uh, basically uh, something is worth doing is worth doing badly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 just, and my yeah. version is: if it's not worth doing, it's not worth doing right. Right, right. Yeah, so in other words, there's, yeah. the, the, there's value in the very thing. Right. So learning the fiddle is a valuable so, thing, whether you do it well or so not. Well, let, let, let's ask a question about art. Now, right, the right. art is one of these words that is notoriously difficult to define. Yeah. Right. My working definition of art is: art is a non-discursive way of communicating. Mm. That is to say. It's, it doesn't lay out and explain to you exactly what it's saying. 
It is doing it in a way that is communicating something to you, but without laying everything out the way I do when I'm writing my non sure. nonfiction sure, expository yeah, stuff. Sure, sure. Okay, so poetry, right. visual arts, those kinds of things. Even stories. Stories, yeah. Okay. Now, if that's true, if that if that's even close to what art is, the fact that there are things that are ugly in this world, the yes. fact that the Holocaust happened, right, those right. kinds of things, if you are going to express that in art, you cannot express it with beauty. No. But that doesn't make it evil, no. but it, it is a way of expressing something in a broken world. Much like learning to play a fiddle is you're, you haven't mastered it, in a sense it's broken. You know, you've got to, get, you've got to fix it, you've got to repair it, you've got to get it to the point where you can play it right. But, but you're expressing something about a world that has gone wrong, and yeah. that expression may very well be true. It may not be pretty, but it may very well be an expression of truth about a broken world, but not truth about the transcendent. Right. So that, to, to use another metaphor um, in the Hebrew, uh, the, 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 this, this whole Semitic idea of wisdom, of being chokhmah, uh, skill in the art of living, such that you are raw material that needs to be trained, it needs to be brought under discipline to training and tutelage. So under the fiddle, for example, you understand that it's not going to sound good at the beginning, but you understand that that's part of the process of creating and turning something from one and transmuting into a, an agency that you can now use for with freedom. And right now you have to learn the, the fundamental basics before you have the freedom to do anything beyond that. But if you, if you begin to see this whole di di dynamic of art and beauty and music as expressions of the Imago Dei in such that we can redeem those things and develop skill and understand that, there's a, that there will be a period of ugliness as a period of growth. But you see, we're raw material. It's like precious ore. It has to be now heated up. It has to be refined. And then it, through the pain of discipline, going back to the shape by the suffering, the, the, the dross rises to the surface and the goldsmith or the silversmith skims it off. The higher, hotter it gets, the more the molten le, uh, uh, material reflects the, the goldsmith. Or the, we know that, uh, their face. But at the same time, it's not just an end in that, but it's an end to become the person God intended you to be. And there will be an, a, a process of training, trusting, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, ongoing perseverance and, and so that you begin after a while to see, ah... I'm getting it. It's like Tolstoy and, and when Levin in, uh, for example, Anna Karenina, and suddenly he gets this facility at the scythe and he just swings it and after a while he realizes that the scythe becomes an extension right. of his being. And after a while, right. after at first what was first clumsy right. and labored, right. and here's the key with art, self-intentioned. The, the movement of the death of the self into the loss and the, and the quest for, for beauty rather than my own individual expression, my ego, my ethos. Right, right. And so as he goes into that, he loses himself in, in, that, in that flow of right. experience with right. the creation. Mm -hmm. He suddenly finds himself to be immersed in that, those rules of engagement. And then he brings something as an agent of the new creation 
to bear that he brings order and beauty and and a consequence of that skill that is is something so that we're like that raw material that has to be shaped through habituation and through practice through discipline and training until that that is forged that so that really true wisdom is the art of living every aspect of life under the or under the lordship of christ so that at the end of the day your life becomes an object a, a thing of beauty a story this this ties into very nicely and we need to wrap up i'm afraid uh we're getting to the point where the the, the restaurant wants to kick us out <laughs> oh, yeah. but but uh this brings to mind uh, a marvelous film a river runs through it yes you, i remember that yeah mm -hmm. so in a river runs through it if you haven't seen it it's worth watching you have a Presbyterian minister. Yeah, Robert Redford, yeah. yeah he, he was the director. Yeah. And he's got two, and, and it's based on a true story. Yeah. And so you have two sons of a Presbyterian minister, and the, and the Presbyterian minister, uh, basically, you know, there are three things that are, like, you know, really important to him in his life. One, of obviously, is his faith, the Christian faith. The next is literature. Mm -hmm. He's a great, mm -hmm. you know, he's a great stylist. He's a great, he's got a great interest in poetry. Right. And the third thing is fly fishing. Fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And, and the film shows him teaching his sons how to fly fish, and it begins with him teaching them how to cast to a metronome. <laughs> so the That's sons right. are back all like, forth. you know, back and yeah. forth, back and forth. But there's a, point, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a point in the film where uh, the Brad Pitt character, the younger son, That's right. uh, begins to move into art. And his father says, he's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's and but the I, the relationship between art and grace yeah. is what this is all about. Yes. So grace is discipline mm -hmm. in the father's mind. Yes. So that the son can uh, sort of achieve that state of of unconscious beauty, fluidity, a grace yeah. a graceful discipline and a disciplined grace. Yes. They yeah. both go together. And the way oftentimes we talk just about form freedom, I think that's another way to do it too, to truthfully enact. What we are as creatures is to participate in this kind of this process mm -hmm. in which we are ever free. We're weaned off the idols and the perversion of our loves. We're reoriented to the first love the right way. Our loves are there, and therefore we flow in the freedom, and that, that has form. Yes. And the form can be analogous to the same form it is with music. That's where right. you're disciplining yourself, not as a legalism, but as a freedom to be able to play yeah. and encounter beauty, participate in beauty in ways you can't do it if you yeah. don't This do is it. a means to an end of a it's higher a end. And an so end. after a while, we begin to lose ourselves. And this is where yeah. the greatest arts artists come in. They're yeah. no longer self-referential. Right. They're not trying to make an egoistic understanding, right. but they understood it was about beauty all along. When art was disconnected yeah. with beauty, and instead of anonymity, it became an ego... Uh, pitching. Theater for the look, right. Then at the end of the day, that, that after a while, even skills eventually just, just yes, because right. they're no longer necessary. Right. Earlier, yeah. Uh, yeah. in the earlier in the movement, they still had those basic skills because right. it was right. a, a, a could actually yeah. they could actually, could actually paint right. and uh, and M M Matisse and others. But after a while, they didn't need that. So after a while, why would you even try to have an objective reference? Because at the end of the day, you don't need to be a draftsman. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, this is a good point to, to sort of bring it into a conclusion. I, this has been a marvelous conversation. And it's actually been a conversation about practicing the presence of God. Actually, all along. <laughs> that's right, that's right. It, you might not have known that. But <laughs> that's, 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 that's what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, in case you didn't get it, yeah, as we wrap up, is there anything you want to say in conclusion, Glenn? This is why I really enjoy having Ken around. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. you got to move up to New England. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take that 
that marvelous ministry you've got headquartered in Atlanta. <laughs> well, 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 I could, I could just as well say, what about Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Anything you want to say, uh, Tom? No, it's been fascinating. Uh, thanks for coming along. Yeah, I've learned yeah, much and uh, really yeah, had yeah. a. Uh, yeah, we're looking it. forward to tomorrow when you're going to be. I believe you're, he's, is he preaching at your ordination yeah. service? Yep, uh, Glenn? And, and if you haven't seen Glenn, he's kind of looking like an Orthodox priest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the beard is coming in. I'm going for Spurgeon. I'm going for Spurgeon. going for Spurgeon. I was thinking, though, that you would look good in one of those canonical hats of the Orthodox wear. Or with a yarmulke. You would. You could play that either way. Either way. Then you need the payazim. Anyway, this has been anything you want to say as we as we close here? No, I I just applaud what you're doing. The uh, I the whole concept of meeting together to talk about disparate concepts that under that we understand that the the biblical vision of life, the worldview, gives us such an extraordinary platform upon which we can build. We can go anywhere yeah. we want, uh, and without fear of counter conversion, because the more you're tethered to the truth, the more uh, you can go into and basically um, the old imagery then is to plunder the Egyptians. That's right. What's, uh, what's That's right. We yeah. want to get that gold. Yeah, get that gold. <laughs> and back, and back, pay for, anyway. back pay for 400 years <laughs> of servitude. And, and, but, but isn't That's that it. exactly what we've been talking about yeah. all along? The the necessity for practice that gives you the freedom to do this. Yes. So that the practice, the habituation gives you the freedom so that actually discipline is not against freedom. It's the pathway right. to it. Yes. That's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Anyway, well, thank you for listening to the Theology Podcast. We appreciate your support. We know there are a lot of people out there who listen to us. We've been told that there are about 10,000 listeners to the show, and it just blows our mind every time we think about it. And uh, we've got a number of people who actually give to us every month, yeah. and we don't even, like, ask. And it cheers to those people in Australia, because I noticed they were giving and right? fans, yeah, too. We got yeah, some, we got some really? folks yeah, right? we're yeah, we've got worldwide now. Yeah, yeah, we're we're yeah. global. We're global. global. <laughs> we are global. <laughs> anyway, uh, again, thanks, Ken. It's great to Thank have you. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right. All right, everybody, uh, we appreciate you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye now.